Before Angie shares with you the scripture reading for today, I want to give some context to it and give you an appreciation of how we come to hear this scripture today. Usually in worship planning and sermon preparation, I'm working several months out, so I know uh, what the scripture is going to be quite a long time before I get to the week of the preaching, and that helps us set the themes and focus of worship for all the moving parts that go into that. But on movie weeks, when we go to the movie, it's not that easy because you can't see the movie until fairly close to the time we all see it together. I usually sneak off and see it before we see it together, and in some cases, like this week, time allotted as it was, I saw it with you for the first time Tuesday night. And then, Tuesday, after I saw the movie, as I always do after I see the movie, I I go back and I spend some time in prayer and reflection about what's stirring within me that I think is the, the message I'm supposed to bring today. And that takes me to a particular passage of Scripture. Or maybe two or three, and after more discernment, I begin to discover this is the Scripture I want to preach from. So in my discernment on Tuesday and Wednesday around what Scripture I was going to use for today, there were several that were stirring in my heart, but then this one just became very clear to me to be the one I wanted to preach from. It's a little bit odd to hear this time of year because we're used to hearing it in a very specific time frame. In the passage that Angie's going to read from, you are already in the dialogue that occurs between Pontius Pilate and Jesus as he's getting ready to be sent off to the cross to be crucified. So in this dialogue, you're hearing um, Pontius Pilate having a, a question and answer, if you will, with Jesus. And it's out of that dialogue and out of that place in the gospel that we pick up today. So I invite you to hear God's holy word as Angie shares shares it with you now from the gospel of John. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would have not handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, 
I find no basis for a charge against him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Help us to hear, God, the message that you need us to hear. Help us to feel the stirring in our hearts and the provoking of our minds that comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit, whether that's through song or relationship or word. Help this worship to truly humble us to come before you, to stay with you, and to take very clear steps in the days ahead to make sure that you remain the center of our life. We offer all this humbly, trusting beyond our own abilities, but completely in your capability to guide and make this what it needs to be to the glory of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yesterday, we had a really nice day, my wife and I. Laura and I, um, I had a funeral in the like around noontime, and then after the funeral, I came home, and we headed out, and uh, we did some uh, shopping. Um, I spent about an hour and a half with her at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> which was great. And, um, no, I was glad. No, I really enjoyed spending time with her, and it was cool to do that, but I also added up the points I'm racking up, Okay. And uh, then we did, and so then she left to go to Joanne's Fabric, and I stayed in the car. And uh, I, you know, really, I mean, it's only so much. And then, um, and uh, uh, then uh, we went out to eat together and had a really nice meal. And then I came home, and, and I said, "Honey, I got to go over my sermon notes." And I went upstairs and sat down, and TV happened to be on. And uh, Last night was a great night because I got to watch Detroit Pistons destroy Golden State, which I didn't see that coming. That was great. Yes, give it up to the Pistons. I got to watch golf from Hawaii, which is way to renew one's soul. And yes, I stayed up to watch one of the most bizarre NFL football games I've ever seen in my life as Arizona Cardinals pulled out one against uh, the Green Bay Packers. It was a crazy, crazy night. And uh, I'm telling that all to you so I can just be honest and confessional to let you know, if you didn't know already, I'm pretty addicted to sports. Uh, I really am. I have been all my life. And you knew that, if nothing else, by this past fall in the promotion for the Mission Possible, you saw how good I look in pads and a football helmet. I mean, that's just the look that I should always have. Anyway, um, it's with that spirit that I went to go see the movie Concussion. And uh, I was looking forward to it uh, because I knew it had somewhat of a football flavor to it. I also, as a football fan, very interested around the whole conversation around uh, health and playing the game and concussions and so on. But I think you'll agree with me if you saw the movie that it was more than a sports movie. And I know a number of you didn't get a chance to see the movie, so let me see how quickly I can give you the summary statement. Uh, Dr. Bennett, uh, Bennett Amalu is, was a, is a Nigerian um, pathologist, and so working in this country, and um, he has tons of credits to his background, a very educated, highly, highly skilled pathologist. And he's working um, in the um, mortuary, uh, not mortuary, morgue, thank you, 
Um, and he comes across and does an a, a autopsy on Mike Webster. And Mike Webster was a hero of mine growing up. And some of you may remember he was a, a great center, uh, played the center in the offensive line for Pittsburgh again. And I used to really love the way he played. And uh, when he died, Amalu did his autopsy. And in so doing, discovered that the amount of damage done to his brain through the collisions that occur in football may in fact have a correlation to the way in which Mike Webster lived his life towards the end with great pain and, and dementia and confusion and depression until his, his life ended. And he begins a whole series of discovering a correlation there and looking at a number of former NFL players who suffered the same fate. He publishes an article um, which talks about this CTE, um, this condition that he's identified, and it quite frankly stirs the pot. Um, it gets an awful lot of pressure against him by the NFL and other authorities because they weren't excited to hear this revealed that the, this great sport of our country is becoming a question about being even safe. And the story then goes on to what happens with him and his engagement with the NFL what he must do to stand up in the face of what's being put against him. In the story, he has an amazing woman who comes into his life and becomes his wife, who is a source of fantastic encouragement. Perhaps for me, the most poignant movie, moment in the movie, when he and another colleague are sitting in this restaurant bar with a representative, someone who's on the inside of the NFL. And after a very impassioned conversation, he just looks at this guy and says three times, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Is that a pretty good summary of the movie? Real fast, I know. The movie then leaves me to this place of, of wondering, well, why wouldn't people tell the truth? Why wouldn't you want to know the truth? Well, what is true about the movie Concussion itself becomes interesting like most movies, I've come to discover that when I'm seeing one that's speaking on a particular topic, I should never take it as factual history. I should never walk out of a movie, no matter how much it stirs me, with the idea of saying, well, now i am really got insight into this story. Movies, by definition, are meant to entertain. They might be meant to inform you on some level of a conversation and mostly they serve as an invitation. If you want to know more about this, get into it. And so I got into it a little bit. And I discovered there's an awful lot, as would not surprise you, a controversy about the movie Concussion. That, like most theatrical portrayals, it's not exactly perfect history. For example, you may remember in the movie, uh, Dr. Malu's boss uh, gets pressured and has all kinds of legal uh, Troubles come upon him. The FBI comes in and raids his office, and he's having to face trials. And in the movie, it gets you to think that this is done because of the publishing of this article, and they're trying to basically get to Malu by getting to his boss, whom he's close with. But in reality, apparently the fact is that legal action all occurred before that article was even published. And though there was legal action, and while that boss did in fact overcome the charges against him, uh, it may not have had anything to do with the concussion conversation. 
Also, you may remember from the movie uh, that encounter with Mike Webster and another player for the Steelers who was having uh, challenges, confusion, the depression, and they two engage each other in the parking lot. You remember that scene? And they have this conversation. Those two players never played on the Steelers at the same time. So it's likely that they never had that scene in real life. It's a portrayal trying to tell the story more than trying to tell history. There's also some debate about the fact that the NFL, in fact, did include Amalu's studies and his publishings in some of their original writings about CTE, that it wasn't entirely anti um, the discovery. All that is, is to leave us to understand that the movie Concussion invites us to go deeper into the issue, but not assume that it's a historical rendering of the facts. Do you understand? So what's true about concussion? Well, here's what I know that's true, is that Amalo's work did, in fact, have an impact. Football is different today than it was back in the day. Football is played differently. The rules are different to protect players in a way which they wouldn't have worried about it before. Safety measures are now taken so that if someone has a concussion on the field, instead of being sent right back in, as soon as they can get stable, they now have to go through a protocol, in fact, are kept off the field, and maybe for a number of games until they regain the healing from a concussion. I can tell you it's made a difference. This past week I received this as a copy of a letter sent in January to the uh, parents who send their kids to the Notre Dame Prep Academy. You know, it's a parochial school in the area. You know that? Okay. So it's it's written by their president, and um, he writes in this opening paragraph, I'm writing this letter to apprise you of the fact that at the end of the spring season we will withdraw from the Catholic League in all sports. There is a long and arduous history to this, but I want to set the facts straight for you. My athletic team and I have battled with the Catholic League over football mismatches for several years. Mismatches in the sense that sometimes they would play teams that were much bigger and stronger as well as more players. And sometimes they would play teams that weren't as big as strong as them and didn't have as many players. And so they were withdrawing because I trust you are aware of the safety issues of concussions, head injuries, and deaths that have occurred in professional college and high school sports athletics, and the increased concern about student-athlete safety. It is probably apparent to you that Notre Dame has loved the Catholic League to which we belong, but frankly, we love our students more and are not willing to put them into a situation that we believe will jeopardize their health and well-being. It's a three-page letter. That's the first paragraph. I'm here to tell you that in 1970. In the 1970s, when I was playing football, this letter would never have been written. Never. We would have been told to play harder, hit, hit more, you know, suck it up, be men, whatever. But we would never have our parents receive this letter. So the truth is, concussion, at least the conversation it raises, has had an impact. We're going to see the movies because it's my, my hope that what we're doing is learning how to see issues of faith outside of the church walls. We want to understand there are lessons of faith we can learn, even from things like going to the movies. That's why we're doing it. And before I talk any further on this movie, I want to confess to you another bias. If you didn't know, I was a football player. I did play football, and 
I was on the offensive line and defensive line and the punt team and the kickoff return team. I was one of those guys. And yes, I had several concussions. You probably already knew that. <laughs> the question is, do I regret playing? The answer is absolutely not. I still say it's what got me through high school. It gave me my identity as a young man. It helped me feel uh, confident and strong, and it helped me gain some perspective that I still have today about teamwork and, and working hard. So I don't regret playing, but the real question is, would I let a child of mine play? If I had a son at this time in my life, would I want him to play football? And the answer is, well, it depends. Depends on how much he wants to play football. It depends on who the coach is. It depends on the circumstances. That is to say, the environment, the culture of the football team. I quit playing football at one point in my life. I laid it down never returned back to it because I didn't like the culture I was in. I loved the game. I didn't like the way in which the locker room was living its life. And so I wouldn't want my kid in that. But the same is true of my daughters. If they wanted to play high school athletics or beyond, and, and they were interested in doing all manner of things. The fact is, girls can get concussions too, right? As well as any participant in any activity. So you measure the risk and the reward, and you make your decisions. So would I love them play? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you what you should let your child do. What I do know is, is that I'd want to know the truth. I don't want to know the truth about what's possible. This is why I was drawn to Pilate in this conversation with Jesus. He wanted to know the truth. He's on a tough spot. If you don't know anything about Pilate, except from the Bible, you need to know that Pilate was a ruthless guy who was basically oriented to do anything he could to take care of himself and to advance his own political career. As a result, he'd already gotten himself in trouble with Rome. He's in charge, he's basically in charge of this occupied land and these occupied people. And Rome really just wants it to be quiet. They don't need any headaches from Palestine. Just keep the peace, Pilate. But Pilate did not have enough knowledge or interest to always do the thing that kept peace. And he kept stirring things, things up. And by the time Jesus and Pilate have their conversation, Pilate is already on report. We know this from historical records. He's already in trouble with Rome. They're watching him. So he's in a tough spot. And now he finds himself on this day caught between the Jews he does not understand and Jesus he can't figure out. All the while he wants to really do as little as possible, not because he really cared himself, but because for his career's sake. And the Jews are sitting there saying they've got to crucify this guy, which is why he has to do it because the Jews can't crucify people, but he could. And he's trying to figure out, what do you want to crucify this guy for? Because I've examined and we've tested him. I mean, quite frankly, he's done nothing to deserve it. Jesus, can you tell me a little bit what's going on here? What's the deal? And Jesus gives him so little that clarifies the issue for him. In fact, every time Jesus speaks, Pilate gets more confused. You're a king. Well, you say that I'm a king. My kingdom is not of this world. What? You can see the frustration growing in him. So finally, Pilate says, what is truth? 
Have you ever been so exasperated you just want to know the truth? In any situation in your life, at work or at home, other places, yeah, just let me know the truth. And in the face of that, Jesus stays silent. He'll say anything. Of course, what could he say? Whatever he said would fall short of what he was going to do. And you go back and you realize, oh, wait a minute, Jesus did talk about truth. He says to Thomas, I am the truth. He's the truth. Pilate's not going to know that, going to figure that out, no matter what Jesus said. So he stays silent. And said by his action goes and does the very thing that testifies to what truth really looks like when we live it in this world. I mean, listen, no matter what Jesus would have said to Pilate in that conversation, it would not have the power nor lasted as long in our memory as what he did by going to the cross to die and be resurrected. Do you understand that? So there's no point in saying anything at that moment. I'm going to live truth. I'm going to be truth. Jesus here did not say that religion is truth, or even that his own teachings are truth, or that what people taught about him was truth, or even that the Bible was truth, or that the church was truth, or a system of ethics or theological doctrine are truth. All of them have truth within them. But they are partial truth only unless they point to who is truth, and that is Jesus Christ. The longer I have lived, the more I have come to believe that we rarely ever see something that is perfectly true or perfectly evil. Even empirical science, for those of you who are my engineers and scientists out there right now going, wait a minute, I know what's true. Well, guess what? Some of the stuff your forebears and foremothers and fathers thought were true no longer thought to be true anymore. Even empirical stuff. They used to tell me that coffee was good for me. And then they told me coffee would kill me. And then they told me it was good for me. So finally I just started drinking coffee. I don't know if I'm killing myself or making myself healthy, but I like my coffee. And there's any manner of things that fall under that list. I mean, even scientifically, when we used to know for sure everything revolved around us. Bias comes into play on everything. Partial knowledge is always in play because none of us are omniscient. And sin is always a constant distorter of the truth. The late senator from New York, Patrick Ma- Daniel Patrick Monahan, is reported to have told another senator with whom he was having a healthy debate, you are entitled to your own opinion, but you are not entitled to your own facts. Except, facts change. When I think about my life as a prophet, and we all have that, At some point, we all know we need to speak out clearly about what's wrong. I often 
wish that what I was speaking out against was absolutely, totally, and clearly evil. There are things in the world that are completely unjust and completely evil. And we do need to speak out against them and act against them. It's just I've come to discover two things. There are always more realities going on, even in evil, than I'm aware of. And I've also discovered that oftentimes when we, as people and as Christians begin to rail against the very things we are against, we ourselves become changed. We become ourselves less than Christ-like. We become distorted in our attempt to reveal the truth. And once we are distorted in the way in which we talk about those who disagree with us, or the way in which we use the information we have, to fortify our position, we have already lost our ability to talk about the truth as experts. Do you hear me? The church, which in a long time ago was considered to be the official keeper of the truth, had that taken away from us when science came along and said, no, we've got the empirical truth, you be the keeper of the faith. But now today... We can't even claim to have sole authority on either one. Because we as a church, capital C, have made mistakes. And have not always been perfect. Which is sort of okay because Jesus' message never was, I'm going to raise up perfect people. I'm going to bring up people together to fall into a truth that is found in me, Jesus said. Truth is found in a person, a relationship with Christ. Whatever we believe passionately, unless it takes us to Christ, is not about full truth. I find this all the time in the life of the church. I have friends of mine who are passionate about particular issues and sometimes I agree with them 100% sometimes I couldn't disagree with them more and in our discussions I've come to discover that at times we're never going to get on the same page on that particular issue but I wonder about those relationships when we step away from each other can we disagree about the issue but not disagree about who we serve and who we love and who we are and treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in spite of our differences and sometimes through them. A year ago, I spent time going to lunch with some colleagues. I picked them off. I said, I know this person and this person and this person. They are pastors in my conference and And I know they disagree radically with me on a particular issue. So they're the ones I wanted to have lunch with. So I went and had lunch with them. And found out all the things we had in common. And said, let's talk about this thing we don't agree on. And we talked about it at length. And I came to discover sometimes we could move each other a little bit. And sometimes there was no movement at all on the issue. But what mattered to me the most was when we got up from our lunch table and went our separate ways... Did we embrace each other figuratively and literally as brothers in Christ who we could respect? Could we find Christ in the other even though there was disagreement? If so, then I'm willing to live with the truth that we both have. 
in the areas of the difference, I place that in Christ's hands. So what did the movement of this movie called Concussion give to me? It gave me this. You and I are called by the very nature of our baptism to live into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not use him as a fact finder or the way to making our argument, but rather in a relationship. And relationships with me are always dynamic. If in fact God never changes, I can at least assure you that in my life my understanding of God has evolved. And as long as I keep Christ at the center of what I'm trying to do in my life, what I'm trying to say in my life, then I'm willing to say to you or to anyone what I believe, but I do so humbly acknowledging that I have partial truth. I only know the perfect truth. So when I engage with you, even on the stuff I know you need to change on, I know you need to see differently, may Christ continue to make me humble enough Humble enough at times in the face of what we disagree on to remain silent and be willing to go to whatever that figurative cross is I need to go to for both of us. The truth of Jesus Christ does not call us to be weak or lacking of passion, but rather to allow whatever we know to be true and how we witness it to go through 2.2 and keep us in relationship fully with Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to invite you, as he did in that movie, to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Because the truth will set you free if By that I mean not your position, but the one you serve. You know from kindergarten, they taught you. Tell the truth. And take confidence in the Christ so that when what you thought was true one day is revealed as not being completely true, folks will not ridicule you. Because at the end of the day, after our impassioned conversations, it is not me I hope you remember the most. It is Christ. And may that be the witness that we make to the world. This is the word of God as it has come to me as I humbly share it with you. To God be the glory.